Well, good morning, River Valley Community Church. As many of you are painfully aware, my name is Lane Paul, and uh, I'm so glad to be here this morning and drop all my stuff off the music stand. So, um, yeah, we're just going to rock and roll with that one, pretend like I didn't just do that. And this morning, I am going to be preaching the Sixth Commandment, so if you would, Get your Bibles open to two places in the Scriptures. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, as well as Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26. Exodus 20, 13, and Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26. If you guys needed a new memory verse, this one's pretty easy. The Sixth Commandment says this, You shall not murder. Exodus 20, verse 13, You shall not murder. And then Matthew, chapter 5, verses 21 to 26. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, You will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Would you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for for life. We thank you for breath. Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ and his gospel. Father, we are all unworthy. We have all broken your law. And Lord, we are in dire need of, of restoration. And that's what Christ comes to bring. Lord, we thank you for saving sinners like us, lawbreakers like us. Father, this morning I pray that we would see the uh, importance, the, the necessity of seeing the image of God being made right in us according to your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, help us to not take any of this for granted, to worship well through the preaching of your word, and may your gospel be made plain. Lord, it's in your holy name we pray all these things. Amen. I don't know about you, but whenever you grow up in the South, you grow up in Bible Belt culture. You grow up knowing some of the Bible stories you've been in and out of Sunday school. You know the big stories. You know Abraham. You know Moses. You know Zacchaeus. So just some of these things. But there's a, there's a thing that I call good old boyism. That's right, good old boyism. And the problem with this good old boyism is that when you ask someone how they're going to get to heaven, they'd say one of two things. If they do think they're going to heaven, they're either good Christians and they say by grace through faith, right? Or they'll say, well, I'm going to heaven. And you ask them why, and they say, well, I ain't never lied. I ain't never cheated on my wife. I ain't never stolen. I ain't never killed nobody. (laughs) And it seems like these last few commandments in the Ten Commandments are just what people use to justify themselves to get to heaven. That they 
work their way to heaven, if you will, uh, using the words of Alan Jackson. <laughs> I just quoted an Alan Jackson song on stage. That's good. Um, <laughs> did you just say you don't know who that is? Oh, okay. Wow. I, my whole sermon's just stopped now. I'm appalled, Adam. But really, think about it. It seems pretty easy, right? You shall not murder. It's pretty plain, straight, to the point. If anybody could follow any of the commandments, it's this one. This one is simple, straightforward, to the point. Is it a new commandment? No, it's not. If you look throughout Genesis, you see that in the beginning, one of the, the first sins after the fall was Cain and Abel. When Cain and Abel, uh, <laughs> Cain was very upset with his brother, and what did he do? He murdered him. In Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 and 6, God makes a covenant with Noah, and he says this, talking about the sanctity of human life. He says, and for you, your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. You see, the fundamental uh, truth in the sixth commandment, it's not something new. You shall not murder is not a new commandment. Whenever we reduce the Ten Commandments to moral laws, to just a good way of living, a, a way to produce a flourishing society, we miss the core truth of the One who gave us these commandments. We miss the fundamental necessity of understanding what God is doing with these commandments. In the Sixth Commandment, the fundamental, the core truth of it is the sanctity of human life. The very core of this commandment is the image of God being preserved. So what does it mean to be made in the image of God? In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, we see that God says, let us make mankind in our image after our likeness. So God made man in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What does that mean? Well, well John Piper, uh, a pastor and author, puts it simply like this, and I really appreciated it. He says, so what does it mean to be an image bearer? He says it like this. He says, if you create an image, you make a sculpture of someone, you do it to display something about that someone. So you and I, when God made us, he did it to display something about himself in us. And furthermore, thinking about all the people in the world, now John Piper continues, he says, now what would it mean if you created seven billion statues of yourself and put them all over the world? It would mean you would want people to notice you. The purpose of the image of God, whenever God commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, it was for His glory. It was that His name would be made great among the whole earth. And so today, that's no different. When we look at the uh, image of God in man, you and I were made for His glory and within the fall of man, we see the image marred, destroyed, tainted. 
And in this commandment, the, the goal of this commandment is to preserve that image of God. The goal of that commandment is for the glory of God. So, now that we are into this sixth commandment, what are the do's and the don'ts of the sixth commandment? What are the do's and the don'ts of the sixth commandment? So, obviously, it's pretty simple. Don't kill somebody. You shall not murder, right? But have you ever considered with all these commandments, especially now that we're in the later half of the Ten Commandments, the ones that are simple, straight to the point, you shall not do X, Y, or Z, that there are positive sides to this command and negative sides to these commands. So the negatives are fairly simple at times until you read the New Testament and realize that they've got a bigger, broader meaning like Jesus elaborates on. But the positives of these are this. For the sixth commandment, it is this. It is to preserve human life. To uphold the sanctity of human life and to glorify God by the image bearer that they are. The don't, don't murder. Do not cause harm to this image. Whenever you look at the do's and the don'ts of the sixth commandment, it is fundamentally right around this image of God. How you and I are made in the image of God. This is meant to preserve that image and to uphold and glorify God in that. So let's take a look. What is murder? In the sixth commandment, this is the shortest of all the commandments. It's a few words in our English language. And in the Hebrew language, it is two words. It is, it is simply lo rasak. That's it. And when you look at this word, not only is this murder only used in the context of the unjust taking away of human life, it, it's never used really in any other nonchalant use of the word kill. It is absolutely just meant typically in the context of murder and unjustly taking away human life. So the first question I want to, or the first objection I think I would like to interact with is, can Christians go to war? Can Christians go to war? Can Christians be good soldiers? In Luke chapter 3, Jesus is pronouncing judgment. He's telling them, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so these vast people come to Jesus and they ask, Jesus, what must we do in our particular situation? And a group of soldiers comes up to Jesus and they ask him, Jesus, what must we do? And what does he tell them? He doesn't say, stop being a soldier because you're going to kill people and that's bad. No, he says, be honest. Don't take from people what you shouldn't be taking unjustly. Do what you're called to do. Do it with integrity. Christians can go to war, I think. Christians can be soldiers faithfully and not break the sixth commandment. And not only that, I would go so far as to say when you look at the rest of the Old Testament, when God commands His people to go to holy wars, He would be breaking His own commandment right then and there. And not to mention Christians in the modern day should not be uh, waging holy wars. That's a, that'd be a bad thing. But... Christians can go to war. Secondarily, I think that this applies to self-defense. 
When you look at Exodus chapter 22, verses 2 and 3, when Moses is expounding on the commandments as God has him, this is what Exodus 22, 2 and 3 says. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. When it comes to self-defense, any self-defense instructor worth their salt will tell you the point of self-defense is not to end someone else's life, but is to defend the life of someone else or your own. The point of this, if a thief is found breaking in at night, it's because the need for that level of force is because you don't know, you can't see. This is thousands of years ago before the invention of the light bulb. You don't know what's happening in your house. Your goal is to stop this intruder and save your family, your livestock, whatever it is that this thief is trying to take. Versus in the daytime, whenever you'd have Israelites bustling and hustling around where everybody would see it, that they could come to the defense, they could come to help and aid, prevent this theft from happening. So within the sixth commandment, self-defense is limited to the use of force that it is necessitated. It is not to kill somebody, but it is to preserve the sanctity of human life. It is to defend fellow image bearers of God. What's not, or what is murder in this commandment, is things like euthanasia, is the unjust taking away of life where people think it might not be wanted. When somebody decides that they don't want to live anymore, they forget that they too are made in the image of God and that every breath that they breathe is a gift from God so that they might come to repentance to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And not to mention the countless atrocities that have been made that have happened on this earth. Just in the past hundred years, I have, I have some numbers of, of atrocities committed. In 1915 to 18, the Turkish-Armenian genocide, you have 1.5 million people dead. 1932 to 33, the Soviet-Ukrainian famine, 7 million people. 1932 to 39, the Soviet-White-Russian purge, 11 million. 1937 to 38, the Japanese Nanking Massacre, 300,000. 1938 to 45, the Nazi Holocaust, 11 million. 1944 to 53, Soviet Gulag Camp, 29 million. 1958 to 61, the Maoist Great Leap Forward, 38 million. 1966 to 76, the Maoist Cultural Revolution, 3 million. 1994, the Rwandan Hutu and Tutsi Genocide, 800,000 people. 1973 to 2022, American legalized abortions, 63,459,781 and counting. That's a lot of people. The Sixth Commandment seems like it's easy to uphold, but protecting innocent life sometimes is harder than it might seem. Whenever there are that many murders, there's that many deaths going on in our nation in the past 50 years, that's a lot of people that have died. Can you imagine how different this 
world, would be this nation alone, would be if even half of those people were alive? Family, if you don't think that the sanctity of human life is under attack in this nation, you're wrong. And your culture and your society, as a Christian, you are called to uphold the sanctity of human life, to defend, to go and do and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we would see the value, the sanctity, the beauty of human life. Murder is the problem. And it's easy for us to look at that and go, well, I can't do anything about that. I've never had an abortion. I don't know anybody that's had an abortion. I've never killed anybody. I don't know anybody that's killed anybody. The solution is not to just step back and say that I've never done that. It's to look for ways to help people. It's to look for ways to share the gospel with people who need it, who don't see the value in the human life that's growing in them and the human lives around them. It's to go to the homeless, the helpless, the people who think that life's not worth living and to tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ and to tell them they are made in the image of God and that their life is worth every single second no matter how bad they think it might be. The gospel of Jesus Christ fundamentally restores the image of God in man so that you and I would be made right with God and that we would be made how we were originally made to be. Amen? And even if you still think that murder's not your problem, let's look back at Matthew chapter 5 again. It's been a second since we've looked at that. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Jesus is contrasting or comparing murder and anger. He says, You've heard it said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Jesus says, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. I can't help but any time I, I, I think about anger, I think about, <laughs> I think about Star Wars. And I can hear Darth Sidious in the back of my mind saying, let the hate flow through you. But how true is that? How easy it is to just grab hold of that anger and let it fester and seethe and grow and well up inside of us. And then it comes out. That anger is so real and so painful, it mars the image of God in another image bearer. It's... Jesus compares it to murder because when we're angry with someone, it distorts our vision of them. We make them less than. When we're mad at somebody, we are just upset with something that they've done like we wouldn't do the same thing. Like we're above them as though we could not sin in the same way, as though we couldn't offend somebody else. So when we're offended, we get mad and we get up in arms because we think that we deserve to be righteous. And some people... They'll say, well, Jesus was angry. What about that time in the temple when he started flipping tables? He was obviously upset. Christian, you're not Jesus. 99% of the time, your anger will not be justified. Your anger will thoroughly condemn you in and out. Every single time, 
you're angry. Five o'clock traffic is one good instant. <laughs> I know for myself, needless to say, the, the past eight hours I'd been at work, if I didn't get angry there, that five o'clock traffic will definitely drive me insane and my patient runs out quite quickly. We are all in the same boat. We are thoroughly condemned. Verse 26 in Matthew 5, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Consider that. You will not get out of your sentence of hell until you pay the last penny. This is where some people have drawn the line. They say, well, I've never done this. I've never done that. I've never done X, Y, or Z. So I'm good. I'm justified. But that's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees drew the line and said that they were good because they didn't cross this line right here. They didn't cross this line right here. They put themselves in this box and they said, I am holy like God is holy, so I can do no wrong. Christian, you are a sinner in need of a Savior. You cannot pay any pennies because you are bankrupt. You have absolutely nothing to bring to the table. When you are anger, angry, you commit murder. You are thoroughly condemned in your own heart. Your anger crushes the image of God in you and somebody else. But thank God for Christ's work on our behalf. Because it's so easy to get angry and forget the great work that Christ has done for us. When He was hanging there on that cross and He said, My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? And He says, Forgive them, Father, for they not, know not what they do. Do you know how much anger and fury those people had in their hearts against Jesus Christ in that very moment and yet He still said that same thing? Christ's work on our behalf restores the image of God in you and I. While it's not perfect on this side of heaven, and while we're waiting on it, Philippians 1.6 says, I am convinced that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Family, the image of God in you and I, it might be destroyed, it might be marred, it might be tattered, in tatters, but God is restoring it if you are a Christian. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, we are being made right with God, or we have been made right with God, and we are being made and being conformed into the image of Christ day by day. Family, be confident that your life is in the hands of God and you have been perfectly saved if you believe in the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. Amen? So the next time you think to turn to anger, the next time you see the injustices in the world, remember what the purpose of the Sixth Commandment is. The purpose of the Sixth Commandment is to uphold the sanctity of human life. The Gospel awakens us to the purpose of the Sixth Commandment that we would see our fellow image bearers as fallen men and women 
that need a Savior, that need Jesus Christ in their life. So the next time we want to get angry, the next time we see somebody committing a heinous sin like abortion or euthanasia, we, we bring the good news to them. We bring them the news that Jesus Christ is Lord and that if you would believe in Him, He would save you of all your sins and that every second that you've been given is a gift of God and you've been made in His image and if you would just believe in Him, you will be saved to the uttermost and you'll see the true value in that life. Amen? Would you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for, we thank you for life, Lord. We thank You for the, the goodness of Christ. We thank You for Your mercy. Lord, we are sinners who don't deserve any second that we have. Father, I know I've sinned greatly in this area that it's so easy to get angry. It's so easy to look at somebody and say, how dare you? It's so easy to be furious with somebody because of something that they've done to us. But Lord, may we go. May we forgive those who have wronged us. May we forgive those who have committed heinous acts that we think that we are above. But Lord, if it weren't for Your grace, we would be in the exact same boat. Father, forgive us. Help us to uphold the Sixth Commandment, to, to love as You've loved us. And God, that You would be glorified in, in us. And that Christ would be magnified and your gospel would be shared so that we would see that we would treasure the value of human life. And Lord, it's in your holy name we pray all these things. Amen.